Hey everyone, and welcome to Time Extend, your racing game podcast. My name's Adam Ismail, and as always, today I'm here with... Uh, Brendan Norrison, and today we'll be talking about the latest news topics in the world of racing games, and uh, two feature topics this time around, as we'll be discussing a piece that uh, Adam wrote recently, and also a new uh, feature we'll get into later on in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, we've been gone for a while, but this is a pretty good show to come back with. There's a lot of news and a lot of stuff going on. I'm really excited for it. You pumped, Brendan? Oh yeah, definitely. This is one of the weeks we've got a lot of exciting stuff to discuss, so we won't have to um, stretch out the introduction of a Hyundai to Forza or anything to make up time. <laughs> but what if I wanted to talk about Hyundai going to Forza? What if ah, that's you can like, if you want, Adam. What if that's a thing like I lived for? Uh, never mind. Oh, I, I'm not going to complain <laughs> about new cars in Forza. That's always a great thing. But we will move on straight into the news because we have a lot to cover today. And we'll start with Team Sonic Racing, which was a bit of a surprise announcement last week as the Sonic Racing game that was teased months ago. I think it was in our second episode when we were talking about soundtracks uh, that Sumo Digital was working on ended up being leaked basically uh in full at least you know we know about it i think it was like an amazon listing or something like that the the price of game came out we saw the box art everything pictures and that kind of forced sega's hand and was like all right well i guess we have to announce a game now so they announced it with a second (laughs) teaser trailer that really didn't you know highlight much about the game it's just kind of like sonic and shadow uh in a pre-rendered uh trailer if you will just like kind of looking at each other and going like let's race so that's all we got to work <laughs> yeah. with but we know the game exists now which is good yeah exactly and the company that leaked it um, was walmart who actually this year have had a bit of a, a reputation for leaking things early and it was interesting to see what the game was called because as we talked about in an earlier podcast they did use the r from sonic r mm-hmm. and made a, a big case to highlight that but it turns out that like we, we discussed might have been the possibility that was just to generate a bit of hype but um, in regards to Team Sonic Racing the Walmart listing actually had some information about the game which I'm sure Sega would have rather kept secret for now <laughs> but um, we do know now that this isn't part of the All-Stars brand so we, we won't see Space Channel 5 and Super Monkey Ball and that type of thing appear here it's going to be in the Sonic universe with 15 playable characters supposedly so, I mean, how do you feel about that, Adam? Do you think that the Sonic universe has enough stronger characters to, to make this game work? Or do you think Sumo Digital are so good in the gameplay element that it really doesn't matter that much? Uh, I, I lean more towards the second one. I mean, I'm not going to complain about just Sonic characters. It's, that's what we got from the, the first Sonic racing game for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, Sumo's really good at what they do. So I have no concerns about this from a gameplay standpoint. I think they were kind of biding their time, thinking like, let's wait, you know, a year, maybe a year and a half, just so everybody who was going to buy Mario Kart 8 has. So we can just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can just outlast that and kind of stand on our own. Um, and I think the game totally will. Uh, we, you know, we both love uh, those Sonic uh, kart racers that Sumo has worked on. They do fantastic work. The number of characters compared to previous games, it's going to bother Sega fans like us. I don't think uh, in the grand scheme people are really going to care. And honestly, uh, you know, Transformed had, you know, so much Sega history in it that I wouldn't be surprised if down the line, you know, the kind of revive the game, they came out with sort of like an all-stars DLC. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great point because it's something that Nintendo deployed for Mario Kart 8, of course, by adding Animal Crossing and F Zero, so that would make total sense. And I mean, I, I'll maybe t- give a bit of a hot take here, but I feel like some of All Stars roster seem to be scraping the bottom of the barrel. Not even talking about Danica Patrick, but just um, <laughs> yeah, like, you're talking about Yogg's cast. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Yogg's cast and a football manager as well in the PC version of the game. Cool additions, but I think um, by the end of Transformed Lifecycle it was a, a perfect mess of Sega greatness, but a mess nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, Sega doesn't... I'm sorry, like I'm, I'm a huge Sega fan, obviously. The, the second half of our podcast is going to delve even further into that. Uh, but as much of a Sega fan as I am, they're not a, a company with Nintendo's history of storied characters. They just aren't. I mean, like, you know, you could list 15, you know... Uh, Nintendo characters and you still probably won't be covering like half of all the company's famous you know famous brands and IP and whatnot so Sega doesn't have that luxury you know once you get past Sonic and you know Yakuza at this point it's yeah you're 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 in the football managers you could go back in the past you get like Alex Kidd but nobody gives a shit about Alex Kidd like <laughs> I don't think anyone I don't think Sega wants to admit that but like nobody cares like they may have been your mascot before Sonic but nobody cares the same thing goes for Opa Opa the same thing goes for you know just about the Gilius Thunderhead like it's not nobody cares Sega yeah I mean th- there's games like Skies of Arcadia that are well loved but do you really think people care about the characters that much and I guess that was the problem Sumo faced but one thing that I'm interested in, not to change focus from the characters, but because they've been able to be a bit more focused now, it seems from the feature list that we're going to get a game that is more focused in general, because the description specifically mentions the wisps from Sonic Colors acting as items in the game. And if there was one thing that seemed really random and transformed, it was the weapons list. It just seemed to be a, a hodgepodge of random graphics and... Yeah. Um, types of weapons so here it says there's going to be 14 spectacular offensive and defensive items to help overcome rival teams which i'll get to in a minute and get ahead so it seems like um they're really tapping into that sonic colors well because arguably that was the best modern game and it seems like the wisps are a perfect fit for a kart racing game given the types of abilities they had in the main games yeah there's this problem that every kart racer that isn't mario kart has where like they have to invent their own kind of lexicon of weapons and yeah. people just have to know what they are. And that's not easy to do. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you go back... I haven't played Crash Team Racing, for example, in, like, 20 years. But if you go back and play Crash Team Racing, I'm willing to bet it has a rocket. And I'm willing to bet that rocket <laughs> acts completely differently from the rocket in, in Sonic Transform. And there's no way, like... These companies don't have, like, eight entries in their series, like Mario Kart does. So you can't cultivate that kind of... People won't remember what every each weapon does you know which everyone knows what the green shell does everyone knows what the red shell does um so that's kind of challenging for companies like sumo to to get over but i think the wisps might be a good way of getting around that because it's something that's uniquely sonic even though like i didn't play sonic colors and i'm sure most people didn't play sonic colors once you see that you're going to know okay this isn't just you know insert generic weapon looking graphic here (laughs) yeah exactly and um I'm all for making this game feel like its own thing because I feel like if Sumo Digital want it to be a big success, it's going to have to be able to stand on its own its own two feet. And um, yeah, the, the introduction of 
weapons that actually relate to the Sonic series will excite the fans and um, I, I just want to shift focus now to talk about the fact that it mentions teams because I'm not mm. sure if it's obvious from the title but it seems like this will be a team based kart racer um, and given the way the industry's going that shouldn't be too much of a surprise <laughs> that Sumo are trying to incorporate some sort of team based element here and I don't know Adam is that something that excites you or do you think this is um, almost a gimmick at this point that everything needs to be team based thanks to games like Overwatch and Rocket League well we're different we definitely won't be talking about another team based racer in about you know 10 minutes time so <laughs> of course not <laughs> so you know let's not even acknowledge that yeah it's I, I don't know if it's really gonna make a difference or anyone's gonna care um team Team-based racing is always an interesting thing because, to me, it always seems like something that should be fun or something that should, like, kind of cultivate, like, more of a multiplayer community. It never really does. I mean, even team racing modes and, like, Drive Club or whatever, for example, if you're on the same team, nobody gives a shit if, like, yeah. you're going to... You know, you work. You're not working together to block people. They're just they're they're even if they're on your team, they're gonna take you out the same way they take out somebody who's on the other team. So it doesn't really matter. Um, so maybe maybe it'll work out. Who knows? I always find those team based elements to be what I would call trailer fodder, where it's yeah. like it's shown in the trailer. Drive Club did it a lot, um, and it it kind of gives the illusion that that will actually happen, but we know in reality. Um, a 14 year old kid in your team's probably just going to try and take everybody out anyway including the people in his own team and there right. were so many times in um, other team based games where you, you'll come across dicks because that's how it works Like unless yeah. you're playing with a dedicated group of friends you're going to come across people who just want to be toxic and I mean I'm with you on this one I don't think the team based elements are going to be enough that we make a big deal out of them um, but what I did notice was in relation to the team based element that you can knock out opponents and unleash your team ultimate so I'm assuming that means mm. all star abilities are out yeah in favour of team abilities which are I mean who knows what form that might take yeah there'll be some form of meter management I assume very yeah. similar to how it would work in a well, like an Overwatch. Sorry, that's always my reference point. No, it just it's seems fine. like everything's trying to piggyback off of the success of the hero based shooter. So, this could potentially be our first hero based kart racer, which mm. sounds um, very buzzwordy. Sumo can have that one for free if they want. <laughs> <laughs> From your friends at Time Extend. Well, so this game is coming out on Switch, obviously, as well as PS4, Xbox One, correct? Yes. Okay. It'll be interesting to see what the discrepancy in the in the you know various versions will be there. Yeah, from what I've heard, like most of the ports have transformed since it released on pretty much everything were actually pretty decent. So I'm confident that Sumo can put a good a good racer on the Switch because I mean I love Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. It's a great game, but it's still a port from last gen. Yep. Or whatever. I I don't know how gens work with Nintendo anymore. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> they're in like so, a different universe different time yeah exactly and i mean we've been blessed with v-rally 4 as well this oh, year God. So, yeah, you're um, right. we've got two two racers at least coming now of note and I, I don't know i've got a feeling we might see some more added to that list but for now i'd say a, a new sonic racing game is definitely something to get excited about yeah definitely and i'm sure it'll be something that we're talking about probably by time of our next show just because of e3 coming up and i think we'll we'll know more about the game then i have a feeling they were probably saving it for e3 but 
this leak from Walmart just kind of forced Sega's hand, so here we are. Uh, but anyway, I guess uh, that just about covers it for Sonic Team Racing and uh, Team Sonic Racing, whatever. Everybody's Super Sonic <laughs> Racing. Uh, we'll just move on to the next news item, which we're going to cover pretty quickly, actually, because we've got a lot to do today. Uh, and that's that GT Sport had an update. I'm not going to go through all the cars in the update because I don't have the list in front of me. And really, only three matter, and those are the Group C cars. Uh, you got the Jaguar XJR9, the Sauber C9, and the Nissan R92. And those are great fun to drive, and, and I was uh, playing the update for a little bit uh, earlier this week. And my only complaint is just that in typical Polyphony fashion, they kind of uh, botched some obvious features, I guess. There's no night version of uh, Circuit de la Sarthe, and also yeah. for some reason they put the Group C cars in Group 1, which is weird. That is so strange. Yeah, you're. it's leading to a situation where basically... On a track like Lasarth, which is, it's kind of cool, but it's also it it's not, it, it doesn't feel realistic or it doesn't feel like uh, balanced racing. You end up with these Group C cars that are so fast in the straight line and absolutely terrible in the corners. I mean, they handle fine, but like they're no comparison to the modern like high downforce prototypes that we have now. So it's a it's a really weird experience. Uh, I mean, the one thing I will say is that it bodes well for the future of GT Sports updates simply because I don't think we really knew what we were going to get after March. And now that we have our first big update since, you know, the last one with the M3 and uh, Blue Moon Bay and so on in Tsukuba, um, I think it's uh, it's good to see that Polyphony, this doesn't necessarily mark the end of GT Sports uh, updates and extra content. And I wouldn't even mind paid DLC if it's worth it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't expect free content all the time, so when March did elapse, it was a talking point what's going to happen next, but it seems like Polyphony are going to continue on their way, and th this update is pretty substantial. Like you're saying, the Group C cars are great. Um, we even got an old Fiat 500 to relive the R Racing Evolution nostalgia trip. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so I'm sure just like an R Racing Evolution, <laughs> that car will be way faster than every other GT car in the game. Because, oh, definitely. Because that's how it worked in our racing evolution. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, I mean, on in regards to this update, I was disappointed to see that they randomly decided to add another Clio and another, uh, sorry, the BRZ, despite the GT86 being in there. Because in a normal Gran Turismo game, that would be fine. But in a game that's still building up its content list, I would love to know why these two cars specifically got in over two other potential additions to the game. Well, it's because when all you have to change is bumper.jpg, <laughs> uh, it's actually really easy to inflate your car count. Uh, yeah, I, I think it yeah. was just as simple as that. I think they just are trying to look to do it any way they can. And I'm sure that there are some like models and things and ideas and classes and whatnot that they're saving for their next big project, which hopefully we'll find out about E3, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we won't. I think, I think we'll find out about whatever the next Gran Turismo is, maybe in its own event. You know, maybe, maybe, I, I don't even know if we'll find out this year, but I feel like it's too early. Yeah, definitely. I think at best we could hope for a Spec 2.0 trailer, maybe, yeah. during Sony's conference. Just an educated guess, really, on what they could show, because um, I think Sony have specifically said they'll be focusing on four main games during their show, but they're going to have to have some padding in there, and a, a Spec 2 trailer for GT Sport would really get people interested. 
Yeah, I was actually thinking about that too. Like, you know, what if there was some decent, you know, real meaty-sized update for, for GT Sport, like a Spec 2.0 or a Spec B or something like that. I mean, that'd be great. I wouldn't complain. You add in Deep Forest, which we know they're working on, a couple of our cars and tracks and whatnot, maybe throw some, some more old-school stuff in for longtime fans. It could revitalize the game. Because we were talking about uh, last time we were playing GT Sport that like as much as we want to keep playing this game and keep enjoying it, and even though it is like a very solid, like well-rounded game, you know, it's just kind of getting old at this point. There's not a lot of content there, and we're kind of, you know, running on Steam right now. So it would really be good to see Polyphony try and prop it back up again with some substantial update. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll go on record as saying that I've all but dropped it at this point. I'm mm. always open to online racing and that type of thing with friends, but... Um, yeah, I like what Polyphony's doing for those who are still engaged in the game, but um, I, I was always sceptical on the sport concept anyway before release, and to be honest, I've played it a lot more than I expected to, so credit to Polyphony for that, but unless this <laughs> fear I spec to update really up the this game... This thing that we just made up on this show right now yeah. is a real thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a scoop for time extend, but right. if that was to exist, and I did... Um, weather and that type of thing it would probably drag me back kicking and screaming but um mm -hmm. it's just it's hard to it's hard to go back and get excited about driving a, a brz put it that way the group c's are great but like you said the problem with those is the class they've been put in yep. but i guess that's something that could be remedied as well yeah we'll see and before we go into further you know speculation land should probably move on to the next topic this show's going yeah. quick already. Jesus, 20 minutes in. <laughs> um, all right, so what are we talking about next? We're talking about Onrush? Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. All right, so uh, by the time this goes live, uh, your Onrush review for GT Planet will go live, correct? Yes, that is correct. All um, right, so you're the man to talk about this game because I've only played the beta for like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no problem. I'll just ramble on then, so... I'll preface the conversation by saying that uh, I give Onrush a 4 out of 5 in the written review, which you'll mm. be able to read on GT Planet. Um, and yeah, for those who don't know, Onrush is the latest game from Codemasters, but um, more importantly from the now defunct Evolution Studios staff who joined Codemasters in um, 2016, I think that was. Um, and yeah, so Onrush is a team-based objective vehicular combat game. That's the description I'm going with. It's a mouthful, <laughs> but I absolutely refuse to call it a racer. Not yep. just because I feel it's deceiving to those like arcade racing games, but I also think it doesn't give Onrush enough credit for the the complete spin that it's trying to deliver sure. on the kind of vehicle-based arcade games. So I, I think it's... The, the one thing I would say about Onrush right away is that it's a, it's a very fun game, especially if you've never experienced anything like it before, which 99% of people wouldn't have. And I almost feel like the beta gives, gave the wrong impression because it was it was so um, straight to the point. You booted up the game, it would throw you in an event that you don't know what to do in it. Um, you didn't know the vehicle kind of um, abilities and how the cars handle. And, I mean, just as a brief side point, Adam, was that one of the reasons why maybe you didn't put enough time into the beta? Did you feel as if it was a bit um, presumptuous when you tried to play it for the first time? Yeah, I mean, they give you that tutorial, but the tutorial really doesn't tell you about the special abilities with each class. Uh, it's basically, you know, 
press R2 to go and press X to boost or whatever it is you do in that game. <laughs> um, it's very straightforward, and it would have been nice to have a little bit more hand-holding. I think for a game like this, you kind of need it because it's not your conventional arcade racer in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, exactly, and the good news is that the full game is actually really good with tutorials. Pretty mm. much any time you access something for the first time, there's a video and it's an easy to understand kind of um, layout that shows you a kind of visual representation of what happens in a match, but in a very stylized fashion, almost CG, and then uh, the, the voiceover, which is a bit cringy, but um, <laughs> I won't dwell on that. Uh, kind of this explains. is on rush. Oh wow. man, <laughs> why don't you hit that boost button? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Codemasters, you can you can hire us. Whoever, whatever lady with the sexy voice you had doing it before, you just get rid of her and hire Brendan. He's got it covered. It's so Need for Speed Most Wanted. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, exactly. um, yeah, these videos are easy to understand, and um, every time you choose a car class for the first time as well, it introduces them. So there's all these elements that really worried me that they weren't in the beta, but they're there in the full game. Hmm. And that kind of brings me on to one of the main points I'd like to make about the game. Um, the presentation is really, really well done. And I'm happy to say that because I feel as if that's one of Evolution Studios' standpoint. And from the beta, which seemed really kind of chopped and put together, I'm so happy to see that the full release did a good job of making the game look a lot more fresh and um, the menus look premium, which is important. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure about the budget for this game because because the type of game it is, it, it could either be really cheap or really expensive because... <laughs> you, There's no tracks, way to tell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There really isn't. It could go either way and the reason for that is... Yeah, there's no real like major physics engine at play, and you don't have to worry about that type of thing. But conversely, I'm flying down a snowy mountain in full weather, thunder, lightning conditions at 60 right. frames per second on the mm. base PS4, and that is incredible. I would go as far to say there's some moments in this game when the dynamic time of day and weather kick in that it does look a lot like Drive Club in a weird way. Wow. You can see the influence from Evolution when they worked on that. But you wouldn't know that from the beta because they decided to make it in that, like, do you know in Drive Club there was that time of day that never looked good? It was like 4pm or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And it always looked a bit too exposed and you could see hmm. like slight jaggies and stuff. Sure. That's the way the beta looked. But when you play the main game, like, there's a level where you've got, like, the northern lights in the background and the sun's just setting and you can see hmm. it leave a trail on the water. And then, like... Returning track from Segarelli Revo. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so um yeah the, the presentation is really a step above what I was expecting at first and it's all credit to the team for that and if there's anything that will drag people in it might actually end up being the visuals because there's also a, a great photo mode in here that I'm sure people will create ridiculous photos with that's fantastic because one of the things I was worried about when Evolution went to Codemasters is, you know, they created this amazing engine for Drive Club uh, when they were first-party Sony Studio, and when you're no longer a first-party Sony Studio, you have to kind of give up the, the tools you create, and you have to almost start from scratch, and uh, that's kind of what they did here. And I feel like these days, you tend to see a lot of third-party games that never really take advantage of the hardware because they have to work across so many different platforms and maybe the, the, the studio doesn't have the time or the resources to really make this game look as good as it possibly could on say PS4 or Xbox One or whatever platform in particular. So 
it's great to see that evolution's you know technical prowess hasn't been lost in in their transition to being a third-party studio um and it's great to hear about the presentation as well because yeah i wasn't very impressed with it from the beta i don't think evolution's ever really had you know I don't know, Drive Club, like, there was no doubting its status as, like, a AAA racing game. Graphically, you know, it's still, I feel like, one of the best-looking, best-playing games of this generation, and it's f almost four years old. Uh, but the something about, like, the menus, it always felt like they lavished all of their attention on the gameplay, which is great. I mean, they probably should, but every other aspect of the game felt kind of overlooked and, I don't know, just not very visually interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's something that Onrush tries to do, and like I'll just preface it right now, it's obnoxious as hell. There will be people that don't like how far Onrush goes with its stylized approach, because there's like over 500 customizable items in here, which will make some people just turn off immediately because that's not what they're looking for, mm. and a lot of them are kind of in your face style sass, and it's the same with the sound design as well. It's very aggressive and in your face and. If you like good sound design, then you'll probably fall in love with it, but there'll be a lot of people that... I mean, we, we had a joke on Twitter about this, but like the best way to describe it is the chemists are in there, so you know what to expect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like being transported into 2008 all over again. Yeah, and I mean, as far as I'm concerned, because Onrush pulls it off so well, it isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it feels like a game out of time in the best possible way. I mean, I think I said um, when we had a conversation about uh, another a previous day, Adam, but mm. it feels almost like a mashup of um, Excite Truck and Shocks, which we've discussed briefly on this podcast before. And it doesn't try to be pretend to be anything else. Like, there's not that need for speed edge of trying to come across as cool. It's almost campy cool. I think that's the best way of describing it. Excite Truck and Shocks. It's almost like they made it for you, Brendan. Yeah, exactly, and they managed to totally <laughs> remove the racing, and I still enjoyed it. So, I mean, that is a good point, though, you just brought up there, because the main issue Onrush is going to face is, who is this for, who will buy it, and who will keep playing? And that that is going to... That puts in my head that we could see another blur situation here. I hope I'm wrong, but it, it for as great as the game is, I'm just not sure how you sell it to someone, and that's something Codemasters has to work out. Yeah, and, you know, if it doesn't catch on very quickly, which I'm sorry, but I'm almost certain it won't, uh, that doesn't mean that it won't, ha it won't be ultimately successful in the end, but if it struggles particularly out of the gate, I'm wondering if they'll come out with some, some form of either free-to-play or heavily discounted version. Because I guess the beauty of this game is you could kind of treat it like you know, Fortnite or Rocket League or Overwatch or any one of these number of like very popular multiplayer games now where the content isn't central to the experience. So if they maybe came out with a version of the game that had like, I don't know, two cars and I guess they'd have to have all the tracks and, and all the modes, but whatever minimum amount that they needed to make the game cheaper or free, then they could do that and then do the rest through microtransactions. I mean, nobody likes that, but that's how these other games succeeded. So, you know, I wouldn't mind Codemasters doing something like that just to make sure that this game gets the recognition and the support that it deserves down the line. Yeah, and that is a, a good idea because the general consensus on general gaming forms that I've seen seems to be like, wow, I'm not paying £50 for this type yeah. thing. 
because um, of games like Fortnite, I think they have taken the negative attitude towards those type of games and shifted it into a, a real place that gaming can inhabit now. There's nothing wrong with going down that route, I don't think, anymore. Because even with Rocket League now, you're starting to see more people ask, why is Rocket League still £20 plus yeah. microtransactions? People are wondering, can Rocket League go down the Fortnite route? And Look, Fortnite is heavily the exception to the rule here. I mean, we're going to see like 25 Battle Royale clones at E3 at least. Right, right. Nothing is going to, you know, saying do what Fortnite does or do what Overwatch does and you'll be as successful. Like, that's not true of a racing game. But at the same time, you want to look at those games for inspiration and for lessons, which, I mean, I think the whole focus behind the team racing thing is definitely exemplary of that. You know, Evolution Codemasters saying, look, how can we... How can we take these gameplay styles that are proving really popular today and kind of use it to revitalize the arcade racer? Which, as someone who loves arcade racing, you know, albeit a very different form or type of arcade racing, at the end of the day, I don't want to be picky. I just want to see a genre succeed any way that it can. Yeah, exactly. And if Onrush is the first step in developers, like, I'm not calling them out here, but like Milestone, for example, stepping out of their comfort zone and trying to give a bit more originality to the, the arcade driving genre, then fair enough. Onrush is a great way of doing that. And it, it's, it's impossible to call if it can be a success, but I do feel like you, you said as well, it's easy to see why it might not be a success, especially when it's launching the week before E3. Mm. That is such a dangerous release window to take because, I mean, I know we might not see any direct competitors to Onrush next week, but all the gaming media is going to be focused in on this event. And what happens if a, a high-budget off-road racer comes out of nowhere? What if Nintendo announced Excite Truck 2 for the Switch? <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not going to happen. And then what happens? <laughs> yeah, it won't, it won't happen exactly, but like the fact that I've went to that example shows that I don't think it would take much to push Onrush to the back of the queue in terms of people's um, thoughts about gaming. And that's what they need to watch for. I mean, according to the developers, um, there will be post-launch support. They've got an idea where they want to take that. They just have to make sure they transmit it well enough because they might have a small dedicated community now, but that's that's even pre-release. What happens a month later? If you lose some of that community and don't gain anybody else, and to see Onrush succeed, I think it needs to try and keep in uh, people's eyes as much as possible. And if that means constant updates and um, introducing new tracks and that type of thing, then they should definitely look at that avenue. And given Evolution's track records with um, Drive Club, they definitely have potential to keep Onrush fresh. Simultaneously, we know Codemasters aren't exactly known for um, supporting their games post-launch. So we've got sure. an interesting scenario here where we've got one of the best examples in the industry and a company who prefers to kind of release on day one, and that's the majority of what you'll experience later down the line. I have faith in Evolution to keep this going over the long term, but just to your point about E3, uh, I think that the second people see real gameplay of V-Rally 4, they're going to forget not only all about Onrush, but every other game that might be announced at E3. Yeah, there'll be riots outside the Los Angeles Conference Center. <laughs> so give, give me that V-Rally 4, I need it. Give me it. I like the that idea, <laughs> and and again, as I've said before, nothing against uh, nothing against Milestone, nothing against the V Rally for fine V Rally Four people, but I like the idea of the of V Rally Four kind of becoming our Dacia Sandero. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's going to blow up in our face when it turns out to be a cracking game. But we're yeah. happy to we're happy to take that chance. Great news, everyone! <laughs> v Rally Four has announced the Ford Focus. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's my best James May. Yeah, it was decent, decent enough. But um, back to Onrush, yeah, just to give some closing comments because I don't want to bore everybody with all the details because the written review will be there. Right. But Go to the GT Planet and read Brendan's review. Damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, you want, if you want all the information, it's already, like, it's still a work in progress and it's already about 2,500 words. So hopefully oh, somebody reads it. Yeah. Um, but t- closing comments, I think Onrush is fantastic for me. Like, I, I love it to bits, and even the single player is surprisingly in-depth. I didn't mention it, but you can actually do the entirety of the solo campaign with up to five friends. That's Which fantastic. is a really cool idea. That's really cool, yeah. And on a similar note, the party and multiplayer system so fast. Like, ridiculously rapid, and it's something that Drive Club would have t- taken as lessons learned. Sorry, Drive Club, what am I talking about? <laughs> <Evil> <laughs> the Studios would have taken as lessons learned from Drive Club. And it just works so well. I've already invited like a friend into a party and joined a match within like two minutes tops. We're talking forty seconds at the best of times. It's so fast and swift, and that's what they needed. But similarly yep. to what you were saying about drive clubs menus and stuff and options not being that um, in depth, it's the same with Onrush. For something so online focused, there literally is two playlists: quick play and competitive. Hmm. So you're looking at a streamlined approach to keep the community together yeah but long term that might cause people to get a bit bored so i'm interested to see if they do like seasonal events and that type of thing i mean can you imagine like for like four weeks to introduce an actual racing mode out of nowhere that kind of thing might generate hype and then people would wait for it to come back every time and like a rotated playlist there's there's plenty of options to keep the multiplayer fresh and if you're on the fence about onrush this is where it gets a bit tricky I can't with full heart say just give it a go anyway because it's quite an investment especially for a game you might totally not enjoy never touch hmm. but what I would say is if you've been waiting for something in the arcade driving or racing genre that like totally flips what we know on our heads it isn't just a standard off-road racer with questionable physics if you want something that actually tries to break the mould and you've got friends to play with as well then I can't recommend Onrush enough. It's a streamlined, um, honed experience that runs at 60 frames per second by default on the base PS4 with dynamic time of day and weather. And with the crazy gameplay, it's honestly a a sight to behold. It's a pretty game. It's fun. And even if you struggle for those first few hours, if you do end up buying the game, persevere because when it clicks, (laughs) it really is one of the... One, I mean, I'll go out on a limb and say this. It's one of the best moments I've had in a driving game in the past five years when wow. I realised what I was doing <laughs> and then been able to execute it because we're, we're so used to the idea of takedowns being the way Burnout does them, for example, where it's like the, those games' physics basically shaped how we th- crash other cars and other racing games. Mm-hmm. But Onrush takes a different approach and it's so jarring at first because you're like why did i get taken out there and then you learn like it's the slight angles it's the heaviness of your vehicle there's a lot at play in onrush and because it's so hectic it can be easy to get lost in it but if you end up picking up onrush persevere because i've got no doubt that once it clicks there is some fun to be had there yeah and it didn't really click with me during the beta but i'm pretty sure with all the glowing things that you said about it and also when we were talking about back when the beta came out and 
neither of us were very convinced. Uh, given that you persevered and got through it, you know, I'm going to try and do the same. And I think if you really love this genre and you really want to see these kinds of weird, you know, um, chances be taken, then you're going to try and persevere through it too. And you, you ought to give it a chance because I know Brendan and he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, make light of stuff like this. He, uh, he knows, he knows a good thing when he sees it. Yeah, exactly, and without it sounding except like for Excite Truck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like without it sounding like a threat to back up what you said, like if you do want to see things like Blur reappear in the genre, then sometimes you've got to support stuff that you've got no idea you'll enjoy. Absolutely, and I understand that it's easy enough to say that, given like I've got a review copy of the game and stuff, and I can say that, and not everybody can afford to fork out full price at launch. But if you want to see more unique spins on the arcade racing genre or the racing genre overall, then games like Onrush are like they're the diamond in the rough. They are the ones that will pave the way for the future of better and more unique arcade racing games. Yep, and if you want to see the chemists in yet another racing game. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to move on to our last, not really news topic of the week because we're just going to have a brief discussion about the thing that I wrote and moving from what Brendan will have by the time this goes live just published and then something i wrote last week uh which is a mirror mode on test drive unlimited uh, on gt planet and you can go check that out um it's the first mirror mode in a while it's something i always uh love doing but it's just i'm so busy these days that it's tough but i was excited to do it for test drive unlimited because um <clears throat> just i guess some background if you don't know or you don't read gt planet uh mirror mode is a series where uh basically i play just an old racing game and just talk about you know whatever it is and there have been sims there have been a lot of arcade games because most old racing games are arcade games by today's standards um and test drive unlimited was the most recent game in the series that probably there's like eight or nine games in that series right now uh the most recent game that i played for it and i wanted to simply because uh i think it's a really important game and I also think it's a really important game that you really can't appreciate anymore because it was a very early online game and, uh, you know, early online, like, practically, like, designed to be online, purpose-built online racing game that the servers have been taken down for. Uh, so that kind of puts an interesting place. And I, I just want to know, did you play Test Drive Unlimited, Brendan? I did not actually know that's one of the the skeletons in my wardrobe. Um, I've never played it despite all the, the great um, reputation it has. That's why reading your mirror mode was really interesting for me because you described it in a way that made me feel as if I really missed out. Yeah, uh, that's something that uh, Jordan, who runs GT Planet, I think the, the best praise he ever gave me was like, you made me nostalgic about a game I've never played, which is really the whole idea behind <laughs> Mirror Mode is just to like, for me to be as nostalgic as possible, or in the case of Sega GT, be as critical as possible <laughs> and make people feel whatever I'm feeling in that in that moment in time. Um, so with, with Test Drive Unlimited, I think the main thing that draws me to it is it's one of the only open world racing games I can think of that really justified its open world. I don't think in the early days of open world racers, whether you go as far back as like Tokyo Extreme Racing or Tokyo Extreme Racer or like even like Need for Speed, Most Wanted or Midnight Club 2 or whatever, like those are all fine games and 
in in certain ways their their world might be great or their world might be a little boring or you know most one i think actually had a pretty good environment uh to kind of couch itself in but i never get the feeling with those games that you do anything that you couldn't do in a closed circuit that you do anything that like you couldn't just otherwise do if you just had a number of of closed tracks in the game and what i loved about test drive unlimited was in addition to the online aspect of it you know they set this game in hawaii which is like now you have forza horizon every like two or three years coming out and it's in this like new exotic locale or whatever but in 2006 you know saying a game in in hawaii where you had this entire the entire island of oahu and it wasn't you know perfectly uh realistic it wasn't like photo realistic all the roads weren't in exactly the right place that they would be in but you had this massive island that's still way larger than what you get in most racing games i mean it took you almost an hour to get from one side to the other you know if you were driving not the fastest car in the game and that kind of cultivates a sense of exploration uh, in context that like I, just having a world of that size you know it's like what a lot of people said i think of like breath of the wild when they came out if you played that um it matters for racing games too and in the case of of test drive unlimited it made it really feel special uh, there were a lot of dead zones in that world i'm not going to lie but just knowing that like i could embark on this adventure from one side of the island to the other who knows what interesting spot I might find, who knows what dealership I might run into, or, you know, what event, you know, might come up, or they have, like, these hitchhikers and models and shit on the side of the road that you have to, like, pick up and drive places. Those aren't very fun events, but, like, as you're driving across the island, you're you're encountering these things you didn't know about, and I don't know, for me, it made it feel special. It really does sound special as well, because, let's be honest, there's so many open worlds in racing games that are forgettable, and almost feel that they're there because that was the trend at the time so if test drive unlimited managed to turn that into something that was actually enjoyable at that time period nonetheless then it's no mean feat yeah and the other thing that's important to uh remember about it too is that you know if you play test drive unlimited you know the way the game begins is uh you're basically like selecting your character from a number of i think there's like six you know pre-made characters that you can choose from then you can go deeper into that and like modify the way their clothes are and their their face looks and all that stuff but you're choosing between these characters who are in line to board a plane to go to hawaii that is the extent of all of the story you get in this game and i can't thank eden enough for it because like you pick your character you see your plane take off you land in Hawaii, you rent a car, which I think is hilarious that, that you, this game is so, I mean, it's not super realistic, but certain things about it are oddly realistic in that when you land in Hawaii for the first time, you have to rent a car because you can't buy one and you have like a 30 minute time limit on how long you can drive that car for so that you can get to a dealership and actually buy a car. Um, weird stuff like that that really doesn't mean a whole lot, but like, that's how this game begins you know there's no story there's no like and this is something that like i go on and on about maybe too long and belabor a point in the mirror mode (laughs) but just like how many racing games were like you know back in the mid to the mid 2000s the mid aughts like you know you're in this city it's somewhere in california they all look the same you're with all you know you you meet all these people who are like your typical fast and furious archetypes just these tired stereotypes over and over again it's like tired stereotypes of like latino characters and stuff like that and they're all streetwise and they all you know they're all like 
you know, I got a friend who can run the garage. He'll hook you up with any car, any ride you want. And then you're, you're doing, you're in the race and then they're talking to you over the radio and everyone's like, Oh, who's this guy? I've never heard of him before, but you know, you take them all down and, and then you take down number one, the blacklist. Like we've all played so many of these games before open world games that have this story or some variation of the story. And I can't tell you how just freeing it is to be able to play a game that is open world, you know, a racer of that type that doesn't just doesn't bog itself down with any of that shit. It's just such a nice, clean, refreshing experience. I mean, I was going to say that sounds like every like um, mid to late 2000s game ever. Yeah. And then I realized that games still go to that well even today. Sure. Yeah. It's like, the crew. It's just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's one of these things where there's not much you can do with a racing game story-wise, fair enough, but that should tell you, like, it isn't a big deal, so maybe not. Like, even the last Need for Speed game, you're taking down the house, <laughs> and it, and it's themed like that because you're essentially in Las Vegas, and um, you're stealing cars and all that type of thing, and it's like, everybody got bored of that concept so long ago, but it seems like arcade racing game developers, especially when it's an open world, can't just maybe do something casual like um, Eden seems to have done here where it's just like oh you're rich and you drive cars in Miami I mean you don't need much more context than that yeah that's the whole point I mean this game is literally like live the life you're a playboy or or playgirl or whatever the hell you know you have a lot of money and you can buy whatever you want and race whatever you want and that's it and that's all you need and I'm not saying that racing games can't have stories you know it, in a weird way like one of the reasons I love R4 uh, you know, Ridge Racer 4 is because it has this story that, like, I, I don't know, it, it almost, it, you can ignore it or pay attention to it, it really doesn't matter, but it kind of gives this context to the game, uh, but it, it also, it's a different story than what you get in most games, I mean, it's older than any of the games we're talking about. I, I'm not against stories, I just want different stories to be told, and if a story's not worth telling, then maybe don't tell it, like, that. that's my feeling on it, you know, if, if, if uh, Rockstar made a new Midnight Club, right? And I love Midnight Club. And they feel the need to tell the exact same story as they did in Midnight Club LA, which is the exact same story that they told in Midnight Club 2. Maybe don't tell it. Maybe if you if you really need to put your game into a story, change it, do something different with it. Like, that's all I'm asking here. And, and Test Driver Limited was great because Eden was like, you know, hey, I mean, I don't know if it was a conscious decision, it might have just been the fact that the game was rushed and they didn't have time to work on stuff like that. If that's the case, then I'm kind of glad that it was rushed because, um, you know, it just made the game a lot cleaner and a lot more streamlined. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you want to be able to experience that open world with as min minimal barriers as possible. So it seems like Test Drive Unlimited did a great job of that. Yeah, and the other thing too is this game worked right out of the gate. I mean, like, in terms of its online, this was... Uh, online racer first and foremost multiplayer racer where you could just kind of free roam you you just organically encounter you know maybe there were eight people in your lobby or something that's a big it's a big island obviously so you might not drive into those people all the time but um yeah you would just uh encounter these people and be able to just do like impromptu challenges races with them bet money and it, it everything worked out of the gate this wasn't a drive club situation where people had to wait months um which I think really endeared, it really proved to people that the premise was a, a strong one and a solid one and one that made sense. Uh, 
And, you know, that said, though, it did have its issues. And some of the things I talk about in the mirror mode is just like, you know, it does feel kind of janky in certain ways. And, and I'm not going to really knock in for that too much because this is a studio with like, you know, I'm sure their budget back then you could have a racing game with a with a decently sized budget that was a third party racing game and, and it could, you know, have some decent production muscle behind it. But that said, I mean, this was Ian Games working for Atari, which was about to go bankrupt. So, um, you know, I'm sure they didn't have a ton to work on. And, and from what I've read, it doesn't seem like uh, some, you know, uh, very uh, helpful commenters on GT Planet uh, telling me that, like, the game was kind of rushing its development. So I can I can definitely understand why everything didn't work out perfectly. But, like, um, yeah, just the physics are... Physics are very strange. Uh, everything feels just kind of stilted and stiff. Um, some cars are better than others. Like, I, you know, I would say, like, driving a Koenigsegg or something like that, you're going to have a much harder time. It's going to feel a lot less natural than, like, you know, an Alpha GTV or something, uh, which is the car that I started out with in the game. But... And also, like, it it doesn't... I, I, I'm trying to put myself back in 2006. Like, it wasn't a bad-looking game, but... Um, I, and especially with everything that had the stream in the world that had to create, you know, it wasn't a bad-looking game, but you do run into a lot of issues where, like, the frame rate takes a big hit because you are... Especially when you're in a really fast car and you're in like a high, you're, you're in a high speed section of the island or you're on a, a freeway or something like that. I mean, if you're driving, you know, top speed in like a Koenigsegg or, you know, what have you, you can actually outrun the system's ability to render the environment, which is like a really, <laughs> I mean, oof, it's not, it's not a good thing when it happens because the game, like you just keep going and there's no road underneath you. And this, this would happen, you know, not every time I played the game, but, but a decent amount of times uh, back in the day. And it was, it was just, mm, yeah, it, 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 it's something that like would not fly today. And I think the only reason that like people were, might've been okay with it back then is because again, this was so ambitious that you kind of take the good with the bad, like you do with yeah. a lot of say like Bethesda games, you know, like Skyrim or Fallout, you know, for what the game is trying to do, you kind of just accept that some things aren't going to work out well funnily enough that whole running running the road and going faster than it seemed to be something around that time period that was pretty common because i can't remember what game it is but i'm pretty sure i've seen something like that before yeah um and i'm sure it, it popped up in other games uh and again I'm, I'm willing to give you in the benefit of the doubt because i know what they were trying to do was pretty phenomenal i mean like you don't encounter load times in this game uh, you do when you're like going into a shop or you're going into a garage or something like that, but that's it. I mean, you get a load, a pretty decently long load when you start the game, but if you're just on the island driving for hours at a time or for, you know, minutes or hours at a time, you're never going to have to stop. So when, when you consider that, you know, it's, it kind of makes sense why some of the limitations exist. And, uh, Considering that we're running kind of long on this now, we still got another big segment. It's going to be our, probably our longest show ever, by the way. Um, I think at this point it's pretty safe to say. Uh, I'll just I'll close it out with Test Drive Unlimited with... Um, actually, we, we know that there is another one in development because even though Atari went bankrupt and uh, Eden has now been fractured into... You have people still working under the Eden name making Gear Club Unlimited. 
uh, you have, which is a name that con- you know denotes all sorts of things. Um, you have people from Eden who then started Ivory Tower, which now does the crew for Ubisoft. The, this group splintered into a bunch of different companies, and they made they made the Test Drive Unlimited too, but which I think a lot of people actually prefer, but I don't. Um, we do know, however, that. Uh, there is a third one, at least as of like a year and a half ago or two years ago. There's a third one in development uh, by Big Ben Interactive, which I guess snapped up the rights to this game, uh, or whoever the publisher is. I don't know if it's Milestone or somebody uh, snapped up the rights to Test Drive Unlimited. And uh, I don't really know how a studio with an even smaller budget that makes kind of these like sort of homely middling racing games i don't want to i don't want to show on anything they do it's just like they're not you know they're not very they don't have that triple a shine to them and and i understand why you know i mean if you look at the games they produce they're fine you know they're perfectly serviceable but i think something ambitious like test drive unlimited i don't know how that's going to shake out if you don't have all systems go you know just like every all of your way everything behind this game perhaps they do you know perhaps they're able to to find a little bit more in the coffer to do something like test drive unlimited but we'll see it's i'm glad it's not dead but uh it's a very strange time uh if you're a fan of uh the franchise yeah good we have someone out uh all right so with all that out of the way we can uh get on to what we really showed up for what, what this show is really all about, <laughs> uh, which we're going to leave for the next segment. So this week on Time Extend, we're introducing a new segment, and it's going to, I guess, be a very self-indulgent segment uh, because it exclusively deals with Sega (laughs) and Sega racing (laughs) games and Sega systems. Um, But there's actually, you know, this wasn't something we were playing for a long time. We weren't like, oh, we want to be a Sega podcast. This segment uh, is all about Dreamcast racers, and it's called Sega Racing System. And uh, we're going to talk about a different Sega, uh, dream, a different Dreamcast racing game when we do this segment every couple of weeks uh, or what have you. And honestly, like we weren't planning this. Like the whole reason this started is just because Brendan bought the Dreamcast. That was it. That is it. That's yep, the that whole reason that we did this. This wasn't something that I was planning. Like I just want to talk about the Dreamcast for hours on end every week. Like no, this was just Brendan bought Dreamcast, and then one thing led to another, and here we are. And uh, if you follow him on Twitter, he's actually been giving away an accidental second copy of Tokyo Extreme Racer <laughs> that he bought for himself. So, you know, maybe maybe get in on those sweepstakes because you'll save yourself like two pounds. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the, the guiding reasons we decided to 
um, give it away because by the time eBay would like rake seventy percent of the two pounds forty I would make, <laughs> it seemed a bit pointless. And people love free stuff. Like I'm, I'm genuinely surprised at the amount of people so far that's trying to win it. I I told you like just ship it to me. I'll pay for shipping. And you're like you're you're absolutely insane. Like why would you? <laughs> it would cost so much. Why would you even bother? Because I don't have Tokyo Extreme Racer, but I have Tokyo Extreme Racer too. So, um. But that's that's a discussion for another time because we gotta get into uh, the first game that you got for your Dreamcast, which is Sega Rally Two. Oh yes, yeah. I'm really excited about this one. Never actually properly owned a Dreamcast myself, but I'd say Sega Rally Two is probably the game I've played the most without never actually owning. <laughs> for a long time, that was Ridge Racer Type Four for me. I rented it weeks in a row when i was a little kid until i think my family spent more money on it than if we just (laughs) bought it in the first place Uh, which i don't know why they really let that go on for as long as they did but they did uh yeah so just to give a little bit of background behind sega rally 2 uh it's a second sega rally game i bet you never saw that coming um it came out in (laughs) it came out uh in the arcades in uh, the only date I have for this is the U.S. Uh, in February of 1998. And this isn't going to concern much about the arcade game because, like I said, it's a focused discussion on Dreamcast racing games. But it, the arcade game is relevant to this one because of how much was changed or dropped or what, what have you. Um, the Dreamcast version came out in January 99 in Japan, which is the Dreamcast, I believe, came out in December of 98. So this game was supposed to be a launch title and got pushed. Uh, likewise... In a weird way, it also got pushed for the European and U.S. launches, were, which were a year later. So it came out in Europe in October of 99 and uh, in the U.S. in November of 99. So with Sega Rally 2, uh, the arcade game is pretty relevant to this because in the transition to the Dreamcast, uh, it actually had a pretty troubled development. Um, it was first shown off at Tokyo Game Show in 98. And initial reports there were that the game really wasn't looking good. The frame rate was was terrible. And it was, I think, about 40% done at the time from what I read. It was being developed by uh, Sega CS2, which was one of Sega's consumer software teams. Uh, and basically, they, they had this team working on the Dreamcast version. And concurrently, they had another team working on the PC version. And as many people know, the Dreamcast supported Windows CE development libraries. So Sega basically almost like the 11th hour decided the team that's working on the Dreamcast version isn't doing a good enough job. They're not going to get out in time. Let's move the PC team basically to a Dreamcast and have them develop both versions. So in a weird way, the Dreamcast version is actually a port of, of the Windows one, um, wow. <laughs> kind of, which is why if you know, you've played Sega Rally 2 on the Dreamcast, uh, it's got a lot of problems. The The frame rate is very inconsistent. The The original Japanese release, which I played for, for this segment, I played the Japanese one, the US one, as well as the Model 3 original uh, through the Supermodel emulator. Um, the Japanese original, it could run at 60 frames per second, but it didn't. Like, <laughs> I don't really know. I don't really know why they they left it uncapped because this game hits the 60 frames threshold so infrequently. I mean, anytime any any other car pops up on screen, any other system geometry, anything like that, like it it just plummets. You know, it goes to 30 or below. 
so for the for the U.S. version and for the European version as well, I think they capped it at thirty, but it won't even hit thirty all the time. So it's it's really a mess. That that is interesting that they decided to leave that uncapped because even the PAL version of the game, for all intents and purposes, isn't a great port. I mean, there's still those kind of frame stuttering and. Um, I mean, this is a game that only really has two cars on the screen at one time, but if we're going to be honest, that is generally how the gameplay loop works. You overtake one car, and later down the road you can see another. So for the frame rate to be as um, sketchy as it is, is pretty interesting, because, I mean, the first game on the Saturn, no less, pretty much ran incredibly well. Yeah, no, the first game on the Saturn was was a technical achievement. Um, yeah. It had a frame rate that honestly never slowed, and that was on a on a system that really couldn't handle three D well. And it wasn't an arcade perfect port in any by any stretch. No, no. Uh, but it still looked great. I mean, I would say it it still probably looked better than any uh, any PlayStation racing game at that time. Uh, and and they did on the Dreamcast or uh, sorry on the Saturn, which had its problems. So to go from that to Sega Rally two. Uh, constantly running with slowdown issues, um, lots of pop-in. This this port, and also the port of the Virtua Fighter 3 Team Battle, were basically the first Model 3 games on the Dreamcast that I would say, you know, unfairly uh, demonstrated the people of the Dreamcast couldn't handle Model 3, which wasn't true at all. I think, you know, you look at games later down the line, uh, like... Uh, Ferrari F355, which I know ran on Naomi hardware, but that's yeah. like arcade, you know, that's arcade perfect. And you look at games down the line on the Dreamcast that were pushing out everything you would expect from the Model 3. I think there's no question that the Dreamcast could approximate Model 3 games, could do them well, but in the case of Sega Rally and Virtua Fire, they were just, they were rushed. Um, they constantly switched hands. Uh, from what I read, this Dreamcast version ended up launching that was based on the PC, that was done in like in like a month's time, you know, to get that out the door. They they were really working on all cylinders, and then after the Japanese release, it was just months and months, I think, of refinement. And and they did what they could. Uh, you know, there were certain cars I think uh, that were that were added to the Western releases. Uh, in the West, we got the Peugeot two hundred six. We also I think they took out the the Peugeot uh, 106, which was in the Japanese one, uh, but they gave us cars like the uh, Fiat 600, which is just kind of a hilarious <laughs> little addition. Um, they had to take out the, the Ford Escort because the Escort, uh, I guess their license with Sega ran out uh, in the interim between the year between the Japanese and American re- and the European release. Um, but yeah, you get you get some extra content. Something's taken away. The game doesn't run a whole lot better, but it's thirty frames capped at least. So at yeah. least it's not you know, it's not sludging down mid corner and absolutely ruining your run. Um, and with that said, I mean I guess it's just uh, time to go into you know how we honestly feel about Sega Rally Two. And I know you, I know you have a lot of feelings about it, Brendan. So I'll just let you take it off from there. <laughs> So, I mean, when it comes to Sega Rally, I'm pretty much a, a mega fan. I genuinely believe the first game in the series is one of the best arcade racing games ever. And in terms of rally games, it really did pave the way for the likes of Colin McRae and that type of thing that would follow. Um, Sega Rally 2 is a bit more of a, 
an interesting take that I have on it because when I played it in the arcades at first, I felt as if the handling was really light compared to mm. the first game, and it just it felt a bit off because of that. It didn't seem as if there was any like uh, feedback uh, coming back through the wheel in the arcade cabinet. I mean, I know we're not talking about the arcade cabinet, but that feeds into how I feel about the Dreamcast version as well, because there's no rumble here. I don't think the rumble pack is even compatible with the game, is it? Oh, I don't know, because I actually... Yeah. We, we had a rumble pack, but I haven't used it in probably since the Dreamcast was out, so... Yeah, but like... <laughs> rumble even, never interested me. <laughs> even forgetting that, that peripheral, like... The cars feel um, so light that it's really hard to get a grasp to play the game with the analog stick at first... But yeah. when I moved to the D-pad, like, this game has just blown me away, really. Like, I, I think Sega Rally 2 is a lot better than I initially gave it credit for. And I'm currently um, seven golded championships down in the 10-year championship mode. Wow, and I just impressive. Lo- yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> um, I just love how much they expanded the original Sega Rally concept into by adding all these cars and tracks. And that might seem like a small thing given what other racers around the time period were doing, but as someone, and you'll know this as well, Adam, who put in so many hours to the original game that only had like four tracks and one of them was hidden, it's yep. really cool to see a Sega Rally game with pretty much the same handling, maybe a bit too refined, um, basically expanded into a full-fledged release. And that is why I think Sega Rally 2 has been the perfect first game to get on the Dreamcast, because... There's just so many elements that make Sega Rally great, whether it's the, the corny soundtrack that just hits the sweet spot. Um, the Love list... the soundtrack to oh, this game. Oh, yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah. There, there's just there's a wide range as well, which I like. It isn't just like um, the usual Sega Rally tunes with the keyboard and stuff, but you actually get some weird jazzy numbers almost in there. And oh, yeah. It's a great soundtrack. The soundtrack actually, as far as you bring that up, it's not something I was expecting to talk about, but I'll go into this a little bit. Um, So the soundtrack has a lot more songs than I think you would ever encounter on the Dreamcast version. Because if you play the arcade version, which I've been doing uh, lately, and and it's been great because I never actually got to play Sega Rally 2 in the arcades when it was out. um, There are songs like, if you do the practice mode, for example, as opposed to championship mode. So you know, like, in championship, like, you're on the snowy track, you get searching for my dreams. Yeah. You're you're on Riviera, you get, um, like, Go Go Sega Rally, the instrumental one, which are all great songs. Uh, In the practice mode, you get different songs. So in the practice mode, you get Estrada Nova, which is a song that you would only, if you played the Dreamcast game and never listened to the full soundtrack, you wouldn't even know a song exists uh, on the snowy track, and that's where they use it, and it's fantastic. It's a great song. Um, on Riv- Riviera, you get uh, MNF, question mark, which is, I don't know what that <laughs> title means. Um, but it's, actually, it sounds it sounds like it has almost the exact same backing beat as Go Go Sega Rally, oh. but it's a different song, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a phenomenal song, and also, uh, they definitely use a BC Boys sample in the song. Uh, there's a part where you can hear Ad-Rock from the BC Boys going, yeah, boy, and it's it's definitely him. Like, I love the BC Boys. I know it's him. And it leads to this very interesting thing that uh, I have to bring up for purposes of discussion where a couple years ago, Hideki Naganuma, who is most famous for a Jet Set Radio soundtrack, he actually worked on Sega Rally 2 as well. He was one of the guys working on Sega Rally 2. And, um, you know, when I was like... uh, younger and stupider i tweeted at him like 
is is that a BC boy sample in MNF? Because he would answer <laughs> he would answer anyone's questions. Yeah. And and his response was just I didn't work on MNF. And I was so oh. embarrassed. I was like I was like, yeah, I mean, there were like five people on the soundtrack, so that doesn't necessarily mean you made every song and I was just like, sorry. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, everybody has those moments. Yeah. But soundtrack's great. Even if you don't play a game, check it out. Um, to bring it back to discussion about the the game itself and the physics, yeah, I, I, I don't think Sega Rally Two could ever live up to the original for me, and no. it's mostly because of the physics. Um, yes, they are. They honestly, to me, feel like a step back. There's no feedback to a lot of these cars. Exactly. They all yeah. handle very differently. I'll give them that. They're definitely like if you drive a front wheel drive car like the 306, I oh, mean you God. can't. Like it just you're <laughs> yeah. not turning, you're not getting sideways. It's a terrible experience. Um but they all kind of do this thing where they kind of like it's almost a complaint I had with like the first dirt where like you can tell that like the axis that the car pivots around is in like oh, the front wheels, yeah, in the front end of the car, and the back of the car just like you know tails around that central point. It, the wheels don't have any like feeling of texture connection to the road. When you begin a drift, you can literally do it just by turning the wheel sideways, no brake input, no throttle input, and you're slide and you will slide at that radius until you decide to do something differently. Um, you don't trail off. And for a game like the first Sega Rally, which you could tell, I mean, they must have labored over the, the suspension modeling of that game to, for forever. And, and it paid off exceptionally well because you could feel every wheel doing something differently, connecting with the road surface in a different way. Uh, I don't get that feeling at all from Sega Rally 2. And I, I think part of it, too, is a Dreamcast controller. As you're saying, the analog stick really is it's difficult to play this game with with any sort of precision and you need it for those uh those later 10 year championship stages uh to this day i haven't finished all of them i still have year seven and year 10 i can't beat um which is a shame but yeah it's i, I think if the dreamcast controller was better you know maybe if we we're playing this with a ps2 controller or something it, it would have been a big help, but at its core, this still isn't a game with a very precise handling model. Yeah, exactly, and the sliding thing is such a good point, because funnily enough, I don't think this game's that far of a stretch away from Sega Rally Revo's handling. Like, they both have that weird slidiness to them that feels a disconnect from the road, and it is a step back from the original because the best part about the original Sega Rally was how you could feel each different uh, surface and react the car accordingly but it almost feels like the Sega Rally 2 they defined it almost maybe a step too far and yeah. as a result there's there's some great arcade gameplay in here because it's Sega Rally but it, it does pale in compared to the original when you're talking about how the cars handle but at the same time, there's a lot of track design in here I don't think um, would have worked in the original game's physics model because that's one of the reasons why Year 7, just because you brought it up, is so hard because there's a, a mountain circuit in um, that uh, tier of the career mode. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I believe it's like four S-bends in a row and then a hairpin and it's in a really yeah. tight road in the darkest of night. 
with the, the amount of work you had to put into the original Sega Rally to get the car to do what you want, even just tackling that one hairpin at Mountain, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. that isn't there in Sega Rally 2. It's more concerned with how fast can you make it round this track once you get the fact that these cars will turn on a whim. And maybe that is to its discredit. But at the same time, because of the way they want the game to play, it also works in a strange way. And you brought up the point that um, there are cars in this that you never want to drive. Like, we were talking about this a couple days ago. It's like, the 306 is one of them. A lot of these cars are just slow. Like, even if the handling might be on point, you know, you're not going to win any championships with the Celica. Don't even try. I mean, I love the Celica. I want to love the Celica. I want to love the Celica in Sega Rally 1. But, like, (laughs) I mean, the Celica in Sega Rally 1, if you wanted to win, you weren't going to drive that car anyway. But, like, I don't know, this was back at a time, I guess, when, like, balancing wasn't very important in games. So, I mean, they would put these cars in these games, and if you didn't want to drive them, then... Or, sorry, if you wanted to drive them, then you were going to have to do it in, like, you know, against your friends or whatever, or maybe in a time time trial and see how fast you could go, because you're not going to win the championships with these cars. I mean, like, I had to use the Stratos or the 205 Turbo once I got that for every single pretty much championship that i won and i think brendan you're you're saying that you're not using the stratos which i find like i don't know why you would put yourself through that punishment because <laughs> you need it i feel like you need it to win some of these well the thing is so far of the seven that i've golded i've been able to do um, six of them with the delta which is a great car sure, um, yeah. in the game because it's basically just the stratos just slightly worse and yeah. um and then for the seventh championship, and maybe this is the missing key to the puzzle for you to gold, <laughs> but I actually used the Lancer Evo Three of all things. Hmm. Okay. And this this brings me to the one of the problems I have with the car roster and the fact that the balancing isn't there. In all honesty, in the original Sega Rally, if you did want to clear the arcade mode with every car, if you were determined to do it, you could get the Celica there, and you could get yeah. the Delta there, and also the Stratos yeah. with ease. But like in this game, like I'm, I'm not kidding. Once I realised I couldn't beat uh, Year Seven with the Delta, I would do one corner with at least half the car roster and just go, "This is pointless," and just stop playing. <laughs> and it got to the point where my little brother was making fun of me for it. He's like, "You just reset every single time something goes wrong." I'm like, "No, it's not me. It's doing the wrong thing." <laughs> it's yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Cars are if, you, and... if you drove, if you drove this Peugeot, you'd know it's definitely not me. Yeah. Um, and... Oh, he's, yeah. even in the arcade version, that 306 was awful. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird that they really went out of their way to, like, we're going to put more cars. Um, I think, so, From the in the arcade version, they had the 1997 uh, season cars. Those yeah. are all the cars you see in the game. Uh, outside of, obviously, Selka and the Delta. And then the cars that they added, especially to, like, the U.S. Uh, and European versions are 98 models. So that's why you actually get you get another Evo in the in the Western versions. You get the Evo 6, I think, in addition to right. the Evo 5. Um, so, but the thing is, like, they have so many cars in this game. It really is a great roster. I mean, you get you have stuff like the Alpine A110, the 037, uh, the 131, the Barth. Like, these were cars that I... Growing up, I had no idea. I didn't know existed, and like I wouldn't really know until I played Gran Turismo Four yeah. uh, to encounter many of them. And it was a really inspired roster, 
but most of these cars aren't worth driving and that's like that's the biggest shame of of uh sega rally 2's car roster it's like it's a fantastically inspired one but you're not going to want to drive most of these cars competitively because it's just not worth it yeah exactly and the fact that the the best de facto cars are the delta and the stratos shows the problem they paid a homage to those cars by including them but they still shouldn't be the best choices in the roster that included the 1997 cars. And honestly, like, the idea of having the Impreza and the Evolution in the Sega Rally series was so cool to me when it first happened when I was a, a mm-hmm. kid. But, like, Absolutely. they've just kind of ruined the way they handle so much that it's like, <laughs> it doesn't suit Sega Rally's gameplay. If this was any other racing game, you would persevere because you could still get first. But this is a game that literally punishes you if you hit one wall. It's up. Oh, sorry, yep. you've run out of time. <laughs> like, it's incredibly punishing. Yeah. Like, more in the first game. Exactly. More in the first game, for sure. But at least all three of the cars could be worked to a certain degree. There are cars mm-hmm. in this roster you'd have to be mad to drive, and that is the truth and the sad part yeah. about Sega Rally 2. And a lot of track design that's, like, um, very... I I go back and forth about the track design in Sega Rally 2, because I feel I, I actually like the mountain stage a lot, and when I'm talking about these, I'm talking about like the the core tracks in the arcade mode. Yes, There's, yeah. Sega Rally Two has a ton of tracks in the championship mode and time attack and single player and whatnot that you'd encounter otherwise. It really has a pretty big track roster because it's like it's like what it's like three per environment, and there are like probably six environments, so that, that's yeah. a decent amount. Um, but as far as the core arcade tracks are concerned, uh, I like mountain. And I think I guess that's it. Like the <laughs> the desert track is like I I read that they really wanted to make it easier for beginners, and I mean it yeah, is like it's was. it's super wide. There's nothing remarkable about it. I think the original desert course in Sega Rally One. I think all of those tracks are amazing pieces of track design. But I think the first one is perfect because it it just gives you the right amount of difficulty. You could get through that track pretty easily first time out. But you're gonna be caught out by that jump in the back straight, and you're gonna yeah. be caught out. You're gonna be caught out by that chicane, and those are things that, like, yes, they're difficult for beginners, but they also teach beginners like this is what you have to pay attention to. This is this is something you're gonna want to take over and over and over again just to get right. And I think you need that. The first desert course, um, or the the course, the desert course in Sega Rally Two doesn't have any of that. Uh, mountains okay, but it's also kind of repetitive. Snowy is very repetitive. Oh yeah, and uh, although the thing I'll say about the snow course in this game is that, at least because it's a snow course, they introduce like snow banks, which completely, you know, that just like an actual rallying, like it does affect the car differently. There's something you want to stay stay away from, but it is kind of like a soft wall, so it's like a different interaction with those edges of the course. Um, and then Riviera is just half of the Monaco track is just kind of boring. But, yeah, I, I don't know. How do you feel about track design in this game? It is very hit and miss. Um, the desert track is pretty much uh, Bobby's first desert from <laughs> Sega Rally 1. <laughs> I mean, they, they managed to get around... <laughs> they managed oh. to get around the, the very plain track design by basically saying that if you can't clear this fast enough, you won't beat Mountain. But yeah. I think that's part of the problem, that Sega Rally 2 almost feels obsessed with the timer. Because in the first game, you could immediately go, I lost time because of this this wall. I didn't hit this corner right. But in Sega Rally 2's arcade mode, it almost feels like 
it's really hard to identify where you're supposed to make up time because of the track design. There's a lot of, um, in the first course for example, you're basically supposed to just drive in a straight line where possible. There's a lot of turns that have those that banks on either side that you can just go right through. Yep. And then um, Mountain, like we've talked about, is probably the best route, well-rounded circuit, but nowhere near as good as the original. And like the, the, the annoying part about Snowy is that I'm not sure what they were going for because, I mean, maybe I just suck, right? But you don't overtake <laughs> anyone on that track. If I remember no, correctly. it's I weird in the championship. Yeah. I think you can maybe overtake one person. And I, I played all these versions of the game uh, ad in infinitum or whatever uh, <laughs> this week. And yeah, I, I couldn't. You don't carry anyone, Snowy. It's pretty much a lost, just a lost stage. And I don't actually hate it because there's this one, um, especially if you watch the replays, there's this one corner that's like a very, a very open hairpin. That's a lot of fun to take yeah, in the right yeah, car. That can be a thrill, but most of the track is just middling, and you kind of forget about it. Um, and then Riviera, I think, is I, I think Riviera is such a, a, a missed opportunity. That might actually be my least favorite track, simply because it's just so boring. Like, it's just you know the same corner kind of four times. Uh, you got a hairpin on both ends, and I know there are slight variations in that, and I know there were. Clearly, you look at it, it's like this is the second half of the F1 Monaco Super, you know, Super Monaco, uh, Monaco Grand Prix course. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's just there's just nothing to it really. It's it's just I remember being hyped for it when I was a kid. You know, I remember like oh, this is the night track. It's in the city. It's cool. But now when you go back to it and you just kind of look around, you're like, even graphically, there's not a lot to this track. Uh, it's really funny because you can in the Japanese. Uh, version actually in the american version you can do this too but um you can put in a code on the title screen to get rid of of uh extra details and stuff to make the game oh. easier to model right yeah so if you do that it actually might hit it 60 frames per second more often <laughs> there's still no guarantee but it definitely like you can put in this code and the game will be a little smoother uh for sure and it's funny because on Riviera, it's like it runs better, but you don't really know why because they don't get rid of anything because there's nothing there. Like the only thing they get rid of are the trees and the lampposts. Those are all like sprites, you know, there's like, there's <laughs> nothing to that geometry and yet they get rid of it and it makes the game run better. You know, it doesn't even make sense. Riviera really annoyed me because like one of the best parts about Sega Rally is its original track design. And that seemed like such a cop-out. Yeah, it's cool, you've got like a mm. fake Monaco there, but compare compare that track to Lakeside in the original. There is no comparison there. And that is the annoying thing. The Essentially, the track design in Sega Rally 2, in my opinion, it tried to replicate super special stages in the WRC rather than the, the actual core challenge of rallying that Sega Rally 1 captured so well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And the one thing I wanted to touch on, because um, uh, <clears throat> we're going to close this out soon, is that having played the Model 3 version, I highly recommend, I can't tell you where to get ROMs because I don't want to be arrested, but I highly <laughs> recommend you find a way to play Sega Rally 2 uh, with the Super Model emulator because, uh, and, and by the way, like if you don't know Super Model, it's a Model 3 emulator that 
will honestly run on most PCs now. I have it running on the new MacBook Pro. It runs it runs perfectly fine. And if you go into the Supermodel forums, they have more recent versions of the emulator that uh, play the game even better. Like, don't get the one that's on, like, the Supermodel homepage because it's actually quite outdated. If you get a more recent version, Sega Rally 2 runs really well. And it's a preferred way to experience this game. And I would also say that, like, I'm using a PS4 controller. You know, I'm using a, a DualShock 4. And the added... Um, precision of the DualShock 4 analog sticks makes the arcade version emulated even so much easier to play than the Dreamcast version right. by far because you have that better controller the the extra precision it's really night and day also you have a locked frame rate that really helps so in a weird way I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that the best way to play this game is the illegal one <laughs> and <laughs> maybe you know maybe you should think about it that's all I'm gonna say um, well, yeah. you could do that or buy a cabinet for £2,000 at your choice. Oh, right. I mean, just do that. <laughs> like, just obviously follow the law and just do that. Uh, um, yeah, so I would like to say that, although I've been critical of the game for this discussion, because that's why we have these discussions and will have them in future podcasts. Right, right. There's still something about Sega Rally 2 that makes me love it, because, I mean, for three days straight, I was trying to go to Year 7, which is like... Four tracks, I don't think I would do that with any other game. Persevere so much and try so hard to get a gold. So the core gameplay loop's still there. It's just that if you go from the original Sega Rally to 2, you will. it's a more simplified game with more expansive content, and I think that sums it up pretty well. Yeah, no, that's a, that's the best way to describe it. There's, there's less depth here, but there's more noise <laughs> and some of the noise is good noise you know some of it's like a really cool car roster and when you get into tenure championship mode you get tracks that aren't fantastic but um very interesting like i think there's this one mountain track it's just like the road gets so wide there's so many bumps and it's just you're launching your car into the air and it's absurd but yeah there's a lot of weird things to discover about the dreamcast version uh even though the gameplay, even though the, the physics aren't quite there, there's something that, that keeps making me return to this game among a lot of Dreamcast racers, and I, I think that's something special. Uh, but the one thing that I want to talk about, and I, Brendan, I've teased this to you for like a week at this point, yeah. is this crazy discovery I made about Sega Rally 2. Um, and I'm about to blow your all mind, so yeah, get ready for that. Uh, so in doing research for this, I ended up on Sega Retro, which is a fantastic resource for anyone who cares about old Sega stuff. And as I'm on Sega Retro, I'm scrolling down, and I see that there is uh, they have a bunch of print ads for the game. And I see the one print ad, uh, which was the uh, for the Spanish version of the game, <clears throat> reads as follows. It goes... Trata de Arancarlo, Carlos por Dios, Trata de Arancarlo. And there are pictures of of a Castrol uh, Toyota Corolla on the screen, which was Toyota's WRC car at the time. Yeah, yeah. Does anything seem fishy about this to you, Brendan? Not at the moment. Okay, Do you are you well-versed in your in your WRC history? Are you a rallying fan? Uh, like, you're rallying. Not enough to notice what the issue might be. <laughs> Okay, okay, because here's, here's what I saw. I saw the word Carlos, and I saw a 
a Corolla. Now, uh, for those of you who are racing fans, you're no doubt thinking what I am, which is Carlos Sainz, uh, one of the yeah. most, uh, you know, one of the best rally drivers uh, of you know the last couple decades, and uh, and he won two championships. But the interesting thing is, he got really, really close in I think it was '97 or let's say '90. I think it was '98. So in 1998, uh, it's the last rally of the year is in uh, Great Britain. And right. it's pretty much a shootout between Tommy Mackin and Carlos Sainz. Tommy Mackin has a very early retirement on day one. So at this point, Carlos Sainz only needs to finish fourth to win the rally. That's it. So the entire weekend long, he's going, oh, we got this in the bag. They're, they're asking oh, him, like, how no. hard are you driving? He's like, I'm driving like 20% honestly sometimes. Like, I'm just trying to get the thing home. I don't care. It's like they ask him at one point, they're like, are you, you're like a boy waiting for Christmas morning. It's like, this is such a sure <laughs> thing. And he's like, absolutely, we got it. 300 yards before the end of the last stage, his engine breaks down. <laughs> His oh, engine no. breaks down. You see the car crawl to a stop. Him and his co-driver Luis Moya get out of the car, and the words you hear are "Trata de Aran Carlo, Carlos por Dios, Trata de Aran Carlo." So they put <laughs> they put the last final death knell, dying cry of Carlos signs, and and these words are from his co-driver in the Sega Rally print ad. <laughs> And what that means is, start the engine, Carlos, for the love of God, start the engine. <laughs> That's amazing. I, my mind was blown when I read this. I could not believe it. And, like, this was like a Spanish, like, day of mourning when this happened. Like, I think, I think people just didn't go to, go to work or school for a week when Carlos Sainz lost the 1998 championship. And... It's it's so amazing to me. It's such a great play by the by Sega's uh, European arm, their Spanish division, to do this. The marketing department, and what I love too about it is like, you know, they put this in here, but because they couldn't put the next words out of Luis Moya's oh, mouth. Oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> Piece of fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That that is some yeah. good stuff. <laughs> My mind was blown, man. I. Uh, I think that's the best thing I've ever contributed to Time Extend, and I'm not sure I'll ever, <laughs> I'll ever equal it. Oh man, that's great. So, so that's where we leave leave you with on Sega Rally too, and uh, so glad we had this discussion. And there are lots of Sega racing, uh, Dreamcast racing games, not all made by Sega. There are a lot of Dreamcast racing games to talk about in the future that we will yeah. be exploring through this segment <clears throat> for sure. Definitely. So, as just as one last thing, then. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend Sega Rally 2 to people who own a Dreamcast? I would. If if you have a Dream... I mean, let's be honest. If you're listening to this podcast, you have a Dreamcast, you have Sega Rally 2. But if you... <laughs> um, uh, if by some stretch you don't, or if you're thinking about buying a Dreamcast, definitely make this one of the first games you buy. It has a lot of problems, but... And maybe this is just nostalgia talking. It's got a lot of problems, but it keeps you coming back. I don't know. Exactly. It's, yeah. It still feels... You know what? In, in spite of everything, it still feels like Sega Rally. And that's that's really the best thing I can say about it. So, yeah, exactly. That's as much credit as you can give, and I, I'm I totally back it up. It's even worth buying just to see um, the the surprisingly decent weather effects running as well on some of the yeah. ten year championship tracks. And if you can go out of your way to to try and figure out the way to play the arcade one, uh, because the differences kind of make it a little bit interesting. You might actually have a better time. So, 
But that just about does it for uh, the longest running time extended. Actually, it might not be. We only went hour and a half on this one. Damn. Um, it's for another big time extend for sure. Uh, I've been Adam Ismail. Uh, you can find my work on GT Planet. Uh, as you can find Brendan's, and we've published stuff there in the last couple weeks, so definitely check it out. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at BrendWings if you want to enter the sweepstake to win the um, copy of Tokyo Highway Racer, as it was known in Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Highway Challenge, sorry, I always get mixed up. We've called that game two wrong names so far. (laughs) It It doesn't matter. I don't know why they had to change it, it's like... What, only Americans are stupid enough to be given extreme with an X on the, on, in the beginning of it, not knee? Like, why? Zero was called extreme over here, which is weird. It's only this game and then the sequel on Dreamcast. They changed it to the, the normal name on PS2. Yeah, well, the, that series actually goes back even before, like, the Dreamcast and was, like went on forever and has a bunch of different names. But I, the Tokyo Extreme podcast will come later. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, you can exactly. you can find me on Twitter at Pioneer Spine. I forgot to mention that point, but, uh, yeah. So thanks uh, so much for listening this week. Uh, had a lot of fun doing the show, and we'll see you again soon. See you soon, guys. Cheers. Cheers.